Good morning. Good to see you. Good to um, see you, my friend. So, um, Greg, your life message and really the word God has given you is centered around um, money and financial bondage. Um, so we're just going to discuss some of that today, some items of repentance in the body of Christ. Um, first of all, can you just give us just a little bit of your background? You have a relationship with money that to me is unique, um, given that you were involved in Wall Street for so long. So just give us a little bit of background regarding um, your relationship with money. Uh, sure. Um, so I think what John's referring to is uh, in my career pursuits before really returning back to the Lord and focusing on the kingdom and what he would have me do in the calling of my life, I was pursuing pretty aggressively my own future, my own um, uh, family's improvement and just wanting to have a successful career on Wall Street. So I worked uh, both at Morgan Stanley uh, as well as Deutsche Bank doing that and then we started a hedge fund coming out of deutsche bank and uh my desire in doing that was really in concert what i with what i felt like american christianity and kind of the american dream was all about which is uh, you know god bless america let's be obedient as christians and god is going to bless us economically and the way he will do that is through the through our free market capitalism system and wall street is kind of the heart and lifeblood of that system uh, the money flow the federal reserve banking system and structure the global financial markets the capital markets all of the formation of capital that goes into companies especially publicly traded companies so much of what Wall Street is, is really the infrastructure for our economy today. Um, over 70% of our economy, of our GDP, are uh, publicly traded companies. So Wall Street, of course, facilitates um, that and capital. And I guess where my life story took a turn was when we were coming out to create this new company, the Lord said to me, I felt that this company is yours, but it's also going to be your ministry. And so I had some notions about what that would look like. Some of those notions were like, okay, well, if George Soros was a hedge fund manager who cornered the market famously in the, in the sterling, in the pound sterling and made billions of dollars, and he funneled all of those proceeds into uh, evil um, benevolence or giving to a lot, number of organizations that are not good, um, we could, I could do the opposite, which is like, we'll raise a bunch of money or make a bunch of money and we will help resource and fund the kingdom. So that was kind of my thought about what God was talking about, but that quickly changed when I, when essentially all of our financial support and the, the the arrangement we had with Deutsche Bank and all of all the success we were having sort of fell apart. The partnership fell apart, the financial success fell apart, the revenue streams fell apart without going into all of how it happened, it just happened. 
but God said, trust me, this is still the plan. Keep going by faith. And so we went through this period entering into a wilderness where we were running out of money, yet God was still saying, continue. And it was perplexing because I had grown up with most of the teachings in the church, which is if you're a Christian and you're a godly person, you tithe and you're generous, God is going to bless you and increase you. And that's what you should expect. And with that, if you're not, if that's not happening to you, there's something wrong with you. And you're not blessed because you must be an error or sin in some way. And I think that's, that was also perplexing because uh, people that, you know, spiritual fathers of mine and other people in the faith were like, well, Greg, God is surely going to bless you now. Greg is, God is surely going to increase you, but this wasn't happening. We were going into more of a trial financially than we were a blessing, but God said, keep going. So when we basically came to the end of all of our means, both financially, as well as, um, you know, what, what I could do in my own strength, uh, that's when God started opening up the revelation, which was twofold. One was the revelation of I could trust in him with or without money. And even if I had no money, he could do things miraculously in other ways that I had not really considered. Um, and with that, that it wasn't because that's not the only way that God can provide, meaning through money, you've got to break away from this trust and reliance and dependence on it. Then likewise, because of the reaction of the church, which was there's something wrong with you and persecution related to that, I felt like what the Lord was revealing in, in that was like, and this is one of the biggest areas of stronghold that my church has, because the church has also gotten caught up in the culture of money and how that is how you make things work. Our church budgets, our ministry budgets, our fundraising, that's how we make things go. And I think the one of the learning parts of this process is like, wait a second, actually, maybe that's idolatrous and false. And that's actually why we're limited in our impact and what God can do with the church, because we've trusted in ourselves, our money and our financial system and markets, instead of purely him, we've like lost a great inheritance in that regard. So that's a little bit of background about me and Wall Street. And, um, you know, I went from, uh, seeing and, and, and helping manage and being a part of the execution of the highest level banking the banks um, in terms of, uh, you know, merging, mortgage companies and banks merging with one another, for example. Um, I remember when we helped advise uh, Washington Mutual acquiring Fleet Mortgage, which was this huge transaction, and Washington Mutual was the largest mortgage thrift and bank that had, had been created like when it failed. So working from that perspective to the perspective of being crushed, not being able to pay my own Washington mutual mortgage is interesting because it's like from the highest level of seeing how everything works and being a part of that to being crushed in it and going through the legal process of what is it like when you can't pay your mortgage um, and how creditors come after you. So I think it's just an interesting and unique perspective, perhaps, like to the top to bottom, seeing it from both sides. Yeah, you definitely, 
seen it uh, from uh, uh, getting a little echo there. You've definitely seen it from both sides. Let's talk about um, this idea of the love of money. Um, and, um, you know, what Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. He'll either love the one or hate the other. And he's speaking about God and wealth. Um, how does that insidiously creep in? I mean, we know on the one hand, money is and wealth are in a sense neutral. You know, there's plenty of verses in scripture about wealth, um, you know, that are, let's just say neutral or positive. Um, so how does this love of money enter in? And um, importantly, how can we be rid of it? How, how do we repent and turn away from it if it's something that's affecting us? Sure. I think that we've got to realize that because money is so ubiquitous, it's involved in almost everything and touches almost everything, we can start to realize that the worship of it falsely could very well be the root of all evil. So that's that scripture that says the love of money is the root of many evils or all evil. You can start to see that because money is kind of the currency of this world, um, if you are trusting in it, if you are idolizing it, if you are depending on it more than God, or even letting it compete with God, you're going to run into this trouble that the scripture is trying to reveal. So and that's why I think Jesus used the strong language of you either love the one and hate the other. Um, so what is hating the other? What is hating mammon? Um, well, mammon is the love of money. But what we've got to realize is the love of money is not just greed. Most people think like, especially Christians, you know, I'm just, I'm not greedy. You know, I, uh, uh, I have money for my needs. Uh, you know, we don't, ask for too much, like I'm happy to live in, with contentment. And what we don't realize, especially as we deal with debt structures, because the Bible teaches us that if you're indebted, it is like a form of slavery, that the debtor is bar, you know, is a slave to the lender. Um, what the part that we miss is not just the greed, but the fear, the fear of our financial future, the fear of, will I be taken care of? Can I make it? Will I survive? Can I make the rent payment? Can I make the mortgage payment? Can I pay my bills? How will I do that? I need to get money to do that. How am I going to put my hand to the plow to get that money? And you can start to see that it's not just the greed, it's really also the fear. So fear and greed together are symptoms of mammon. They're related spirits. They're both sin. Um, mammon is just the pressures. If you want to think about it this way, when money speaks to us and we start worrying about it, well, I'm concerned about money and, you know, you know, it would be wise if I can, if I did this or this to make more money or conserve more money, or maybe I should move from Dallas to, uh, Waco because it's cheaper and that's God's will for me because I'll save money, you know, so we can start to hear there are voices that get that animate the issues around finance and money. And when we hear these voices, guess what that is? If it's not God, it's probably mammon. And the love of money also is related to Jesus's scripture where he spoke about and taught that if you, if you love me, obey me. So there's this idea of obedience, listening to a voice and obedience is related to love. So if we hear a voice of fear about our finances and our future, 
and we react to it and implement according to the voice, what are we doing? We're obeying that voice. And that is a love of money as well. So it's not mammon, it's not just you know, outright greed. You don't have to be Gordon Gecko on Wall Street and how many yachts are you gonna water ski behind, Gordon? That's not the only issue about mammon. Um, it really is, is, is uh, much more involved than that. And because it is so powerful in terms of what it can do in this modern world, it can become the object of our desire. And that's, and that's where uh, this obedience factor comes in. That, that's a great um, definition, I think. Um, you know, are you obeying the voice of money? Um, you know, that's a great definition for who you love. I think that's a really profound insight. Um, and, um, you know, I know personally, I, I use that as just a, a marker in my own life. You know, I'll, I'll make a, a small decision based on money. Like I might, um, you know, have uh, Chipotle instead of going out for a steak dinner because I'm like, oh, this is a lot cheaper. Uh, but for any larger decision, you know, one of one of my personal rules is okay. Yes or no can't be based on money. It needs to be based on the voice of God. And um, you know, I think that's that's what you're describing. But you put it so well. Tell me now. There's a. I'm just going to riff on this a little bit. Just knowing some of your history, there was a time when you were still in your Wall Street phase, um, where the Holy Spirit spoke to you, not that you loved money, but that money loves you. And um, uh, tell us a little bit about that. And um, I know you and I talked about some of the, what that meant biblically to hear that uh, from some other scriptures, but share a little bit about that. The money loved you and it'll, it scared you, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, what Jonathan's referring to is in 2001, um, I was here up in, on Cape Cod in Massachusetts and I was, dreaming or in my it was in a sleep state and um i awoken to a voice which was simply what jonathan uttered which is money loves you and so it was like a sickly sweet sort of voice it was weird it's like what like what does this mean and i was like a little confused because i was like weighing up like well if i had more money then i could do more good with it um, but like, this is really weird. Doesn't the Bible have something to say about this? And so I kind of got up, went to the scripture and of course found that verse that we're just discussing that the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, and, but I'm like, it's not the love of money in this case, it's that money loves me. So what does this mean, Lord? What does this mean, Lord? I kind of immediately dismissed it as this is not good. This is not something God wants money loving me. Um, and, uh, you know, so that kind of, that was an interesting thing because this was in July of 2001. If I'm remembering this right. I was in a negotiation at the time to try to get this job at Deutsche Bank. There was a lot of money at stake. There were these big contracts being contemplated. There was a lot of income potentially to be had. This is a difficult time on Wall Street. And um, that, you know, and, and just a month after that, when I was on the West Coast, we were out calling on some of the big banks of the West Coast, like Wells Fargo. 
And in the Mandarin Oriental Hotel, uh, when I was concerned about what would happen with my job, in prayer, the Lord took me to Isaiah 52. So Isaiah 52, which is come out, come out, depart from there, touch no unclean thing. I will go before you uh, and be your rear guard. Uh, you will not leave in haste or leave in flight. That was a very comforting verse to me because I was dealing with, did I get this job at Deutsche Bank yet? Am I going to get fired at Morgan Stanley because of what's going on in the markets? Um, and so I was very concerned. And God had answered me in, the, in that. It was comforting to me because it's like, yes, I'm moving you on, but you're going to be okay. Well, little did I know that's actually a reference to the Israelites coming out of Babylon. It's a prophecy that Isaiah had about that time. And it really is a parallel scripture to Revelation 18. So I get money loves you. I get I'm taking you out of this situation, but you're coming out of Babylon. I didn't really understand what that meant. Then 9-11 hit. Um, and then I had this experience, my first missions trip, where the Lord was showing me that uh, the simplicity of people's faith without a lot of money or complication is actually a greater gift than having a lot of money or technology or solutions in the worldly sense, um, and and so forth. So it, it was kind of got unpacked for me later in life, but that was that progression in 2001. And I think it was a critical time for the nation because when 9-11 happened, my reaction was probably similar to maybe some of your reaction, others' reaction, Donald Trump's reaction, incidentally, which is in the book, The Harbinger, um, how dare these terrorists attack us in this way? We will rebuild, we will recover. And of course, we know that that is actually has the echoes of Isaiah 9:10, and it's the wrong reaction. The reaction should be repentance. Instead, our reaction was defiance. How dare this evil affect us, godly America, and our economy? Um, and so yeah, it's interesting because I think later the Lord was showing me that uh, there was nothing of eternal value being developed in those twin towers. And I, I knew that from my own experience because of the different firms who were there that we worked with. Kenner Fitzgerald was there. Um, a friend of mine who passed away was there and Keith Broyad and Woods. Morgan Stanley was the largest tenant uh, of all through the Dean Witter merger. We had 3,000 people there. And I remember when the towers went down, I was in the city when it happened, and the Lord, that was my prayer assignment, pray that the Morgan Stanley employees make it, that they don't die. So there was nothing of eternal value going on there. I think that helps us understand, wait a second, maybe this whole premise of how we built uh, these structures, these financial empires, have very little, if anything, to do with the kingdom of God, and has all to do with the business of making money. So one of the um, key things with 10 days, um, a lot of people don't know this, but our first ever, um, you know, uh, days of awe, 10 days, September, October, um, that we did publicly was in 2008. And the day we began was the day the stock market lost 777 points and it just immediately took me back to god speaking this vision to me saying babylon refuses to mourn that reference to um, revelation 18 and if you look through revelation 18 
um, a tremendous part of Babylon is it's this financial system um, that's being judged. And, and, and if you read Revelation 18, you'll see much of the judgment has to do with um, a financial system. So I think, you know, we've kind of had similar journeys there um, in terms of seeing, okay, there's something not right. Um, the, um, let's just say the American right-wing vision of reality, um, which is sort of, um, you know, God, country, capitalism, um, there's something there's something wrong there. The, the Jesus way is not necessarily, um, you know, the same as, as what maybe we've been taught or told. Um, so I, maybe let me just shift it a little bit. How, what does it look like to live a life free of this sin? Um, maybe, you know, what does it look like practically? What are, if someone is saying, you know, I don't want to be beholden to money. I don't want to serve two masters. What what are some keys for stepping out of the love of money um, that you've seen and experienced? Well, um, of course, this question is often asked, and it's not a straightforward answer, and I'll share why. It's not straightforward because you can't just do step A, step B, step C, you're free of man. The whole world around us revolves around money. And so it's very difficult to, you know, not, it, it's, it's like when Jesus said, um, you're in the world, but you're not meant to be of the world. What he was speaking about were the difference in spirits. The holiness consecrated set apart to God was a different attitude, a different trust system, different worship system. Um, and that's really the key is being humble and uh, flexible, moldable, shapeable, being like willing to go on the potter's wheel to be changed away from the American mindset, which is sort of the self-made man, my money will take care of me, I need to plan for my financial future, um, with what God wants, which is he's saying, I want you to trust in me for your future, period. Don't be like the guy in the Bible, in the parable, who built a second barn because he was so blessed in abundance that he wanted to store it up for himself and take his ease. There's, there's a part of our even American philosophy of retirement that's very much like that parable, which is the man who built the second barn to take up his ease. That's a little bit like retirement, the American dream of in retirement, I'll golf and take my ease. Um, so, I often say this, and I'm going to say it again, and people don't like this prescription, but for me, it took a crisis of running out of what I had trusted in, running out of money, in order to cross over by faith into a realm of unplugging from the matrix of our slavery of these Babylonian systems into the kingdom of God um, with no backup plan, no plan B, no Essentially, it's a burn the ships type of mentality, which is no matter what, come hell or high water, God can make a way with or without money. And if I believe that and trust in him in that way to that depth, even if I if it, it's painful and it's, it's a struggle and hard and I don't know how I'm going to do it. If we come out of ourselves and are making our own way forward and we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, even at risk 
See, one of the problems we've got is we've got this notion of good stewardship is I cover my own butt and I work so hard that I'm always going to be able to take care of my family. And that can be a mistake because if we're just focused on saving ourselves and providing for our family, but we're not really um, tapping into heaven, trusting in God, it can be very false and a form of slavery and basically a distraction from our calling into the kingdom. Um, so sometimes it takes a crisis. Like I would pray for opportunities where God can shake you out of that dependency because I think that dependency is more around than we're willing to admit. And I think a scripture that goes with this, Matthew 4, 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We may have to face our own desert time to really get this, to really come out of it. Why? Because if you read in Deuteronomy 8, the people of Israel had to come out of the Egyptian way. They were enslaved in Egypt, but they also were participating in part of the Egyptian god system, the system of uh, the golden calf, which, of course, they immediately tried to recreate in the wilderness, which was really bad. That golden calf, I believe, is like symbolic or representative of false financial dependence, like the wealth of Egypt. Well, we don't know what happened to Moses. We don't know what we're going to do in this desert. It's dry. We don't have any food. We don't have any water. Let's go back to Egypt. At least, even though we were slaves, at least we had those things. And, of course, that's back to that system of dependency. So us coming out of Egypt, which is another analogy, coming out of Babylon, but also coming out of Egypt, is being able to be willing to go through our own desert or crisis where we are not trusting in the old ways of business, which is, um, for example, like one of the one of the ministry focuses falsely can be a, an overemphasis on fundraising or fundraising will only come if I work my tail off to ask people for money, because then God will bless that and I'll have the money we need for this good ministry. I think that can become a trap because then we are focused so much on the self-effort of getting that money and dependent on that money. And depending, you know, it's kind of like being budget driven rather than being uh, let's let God be God and whatever we have we'll use. That could be a million dollars or maybe no dollars, but still God can do it. So we can't make, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit, but we can't make the critical path in our lives, the money, the income. The only way God can do this is with if I had this money. The only way I can do anything is if I had this money. Well, if God wanted it, he would provide this money this way. God can do anything with or without money. The practical steps are being vulnerable and allowing ourselves to be in risk position where God can put us on the potter's wheel. We're willing to go into a desert, whatever that means for each one of us, where we're really trusting God rather than in something we've done for ourselves. This doesn't negate like biblical economy, God's uh, proper use of money and so forth. But what it starts to reveal, I think, is if money failed tomorrow, here's another question. If money failed tomorrow, how would I react? If I could not gain access to my bank account through the ATM with dollars, um, how, how would I get by? How would I respond? Could I make it? The answer is you can make it. Um, and so 
I think a prayer is, Lord, show me practical ways I can come out of dependency and trust in the system and money um, and be more dependent and trust in you and allow myself even to be restrained in my own self-effort to put myself into the bosom of Jesus and, and trust you, Lord. Um, so, yeah, it's not a it's not a prescription of take this pill and sleep it off and you'll be good. It's it's more of a you got to change your approach to life and how how you really trust God and provisionally. And like we've experienced and others have experienced on this call, I'm sure, not having a financial way forward, and then God makes a way another way, like a miraculous way. It could be for cars or houses or needs or food. Um, I love the uh, how George um, Mueller, um, who is a German but res residing in the UK, he had this whole vision and calling to create uh, uh, a place to take care of orphans and also create like a missional school. And he got this vision from God and basically said, God, if you've given me this vision, I'm not going to ask anybody for money. I'm just going to trust that you're going to provide. And that was his uh, that was his attitude. That was his approach. I think that is a practical way you can do it. It's like okay, instead of the usual businesses, the business as usual approach to ministry, we can take the George Mueller approach, which is pray it in. It, it may be that money does it, but it may be that you know God gives some land. Uh, one of the famous stories, of course, that George Mueller had was. They had no bread, they had no food, they had nothing for the orphans, but he knew he had a promise from God that this is his calling and the orphans will be taken care of. That's what the Bible says, like Matthew 6, 33, put the, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness and all the things you worry about will be taken care of. He literally walked that out. And that, that morning, famously, the milk truck came and delivered all this milk and the, and the, the guy who bake spread in town, like stayed up all night because God was telling him to bake bread for the orphans. And so George Mueller didn't know that, but he prayed and had the orphans pray. And then all those things happened. So those are examples. Um, so I'll, I'll go back to you, Jonathan, but. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, Liz put this helpful comment in the chat. Um, saying that, you know, if money is the currency of earth, it seems like faith is the currency of heaven. Yep. Um, how we transact, and, and we know that grace comes through faith, uh, and we can say on earth, you know, well, um, you know, anything, almost anything you can think of comes through money. Um, but in heaven, it's these things come through faith, which is maybe, um, you know, why that scripture, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word um, that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it's really learning, like you said, to go from trusting in this human system that we're all immersed in into trusting in a totally different system uh, that comes from heaven, and um, uh, which is what Jesus did and, and which is what he taught us as his followers to do. Um, so it, it is like a relearning, a retraining process, uh, you know, uh, that we, that we need to go through that you've gone through that others go through. I think that example of the wilderness is so apt, um, because they were out there, um, 
you know, they had had a natural provision situation in Egypt and they went into a supernatural provision situation where there was no way in the natural they could get anything they needed. Um, I wonder, Greg, if you could share even a few more stories from your personal life um, on how you've seen God provide and uh, ways that, uh, you know, you've had this extreme journey from lots of money to very little money and trusting God. How have you seen God provide uh, for you over the years and your family? Jonathan, can I just add one, one element, extra element for Greg as he answers those questions? Sure. Um, is this, is, is this an interloper? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. Um, can you also address the fear element? You know, because uh, I, think, I think that's where it really hits, the rubber hits the road for a lot of us. Like, do you still experience fear as you're going through these things has the lord elevated you to a place where you're much freer from that place and how do you deal with the with with the fear if it comes on you i hope that's okay jonathan okay so i guess i'll i'll start in response to grand then shift over to what jonathan asked which is other examples um of miracles so yes fear the fear factor is the big one it's like the hidden thing that we as americans don't really acknowledge when i made plenty of money i could pay all the bills there was no size mortgage that was you know what wasn't comparable by just earning a greater living in my career right so all along i didn't understand that fear because i was just you know i was just comfortable and uh, hey, I've always got more than enough. We can always afford everything. Everything's fine. Like there's no problems. So there's, there was no fear. There was no concern because as long as that direct deposit kept hitting and big bonuses came at the end of the year, then what's there to fear? It's plenty of money to go around. But when you don't have that, that's when the fear rises up. How will I survive? And I think that that fear is so strong uh, in our country, but yet it's not acknowledged, that it actually keeps us enslaved. So when we, we basically had like a faith versus fear dynamic going on in 2009. So we were, as a family, being shown 2008 into 2009, this calling on our lives, what we were to do, models for the kingdom, but yet we didn't have the money coming. We were running out of it. And so, of course, you look at that and it's like your own financial cliff. I remember describing it to a friend of mine, like, I can see the cliff coming and I'm driving my family over the bus. I'm sorry, driving my family in a bus over that cliff. I'm either completely crazy or I'm right where God wants us. We received many confirmations to be able to have enough faith, prophetically and otherwise, to continue, even when we face persecution, like you're wrong, eject, eject, go back to Wall Street, get that job, this is foolishness, the ministries need your money, your family needs the money, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. We kept pressing forward. And to be honest with you, it was like a white knuckle ride. It was like, okay, which am I gonna believe? The prophetic promises of God and specific and biblical, 
or am I going to listen to the fear factor, which is once you run out of money, it's curtains for you. Life is over and, you know, you, you are going to be scrambling. I had leaders in the church telling me, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your wife. You're going to lose just like complete, you know, proclamations of total disaster. And why? Because it was fear. And why was, why were we being persecuted? Not only was it a white knuckle experience for us and crazy, but God got us through it. Um, and just miracle after miracle in the midst of it, going from $40,000 a month of a need from a cash flow standpoint to absolute zero, that was white knuckle hard. But God carried us through faith and God carried us through. Um, but the persecution was, I would never want to be in your position, so I'm going to persecute you as though you're in error and in sin. Why? Because that fear was being projected on us. So I think that fear is huge. That fear is one of the biggest fears that we don't acknowledge in the American church, that we either have plenty of money and we don't worry about it, or you know, we allow fear, we, we want to do anything we can to avoid being fearful. So we try a, ver a variety of methodologies to have plenty of money so we avoid that. Um, hope that answers your question, Grant. You're, you just video muted, but um, to Jonathan's question, I, you know, the one example, I've got loads of examples, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miracles. One really cool one involves my daughter. So uh, we have, uh, I guess worth mentioning here is that God is not concerned with like somehow our contrition is going to be a demonstration of poverty, that somehow our repentance has to be penance, which is like, I'll just be poor and have nothing. And, you know, that's going to be my repentance. It doesn't have to be like that. The Lord led us to the two homes that we're in. And despite 11 years of foreclosure, we are like still here. Why? Because he cares about the land and he cares about us being here. So yet we don't have, there have been so many times where we don't have enough, even have enough money for food and gas and heating oil. Like, how could this be? People don't understand it, yet we're still here. So I don't think it's really about like, you know, it's, it's wrong or right to not have a house. It's wrong or right not to have a car. It's wrong or right not to have these material things. God knows what we need. That's not the problem, right? So Abraham was a blessed man, and Paul was a man who went through shipwrecks. So you, you can see both ends of the spectrum about, you know, what, what it could look like. But it's really about just being content with what God gives us, whatever that is, and trusting him, trusting him, not succumbing to the fear. Our culture, when that fear hits, turns to self-preservation. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Take care of the problem. Get that money back. Get the income back. And I think that's when fear is animating the voice through money, and it's creating this mammon call, you know, this mammon cry. Anyway, back to the practical miracle that happened. So we were, I forget which year, but it was the year that Claire, my daughter, uh, was getting her driver's license. And she had diligently saved, um, I think, $1,500 or $2,000 to try to get a car. Um, we just had our two old trucks, which were long in the tooth, 150,000, 200,000 miles. 
you know, a lot of rust, a lot of things, but, you know, they still were keeping going. Like we were keeping them going, but they were, they were tired vehicles, but we needed those two vehicles for what Bridget and I both do. And also as Claire and the kids, uh, you know, got old enough, we wanted them to have access to a vehicle that, so a third car. So, so Claire had an inner heart, like she wanted to get this car. Um, and in fact, even she got a Christmas gift, like that helped bring it up to like $2,500. So we started shopping for cars and, um, you know, we were praying about it and, uh, $2,500 in Fairfield County doesn't get you much of a car. It's usually you'll get you a clunker with some kind of problem. It's like a transmission is about to drop out. And so it can be a real issue. Um, so we're praying and Claire's desiring this car and she's, you know, becoming 17 and, and we go, I take her to lunch one day. And as we're going to lunch, she was talking about this. And I was like, you know, Claire, why, you know, maybe we could even pray that not only will you get some form of car to drive, maybe mom could use a new car because her suburban is really like old and tired. So let's also pray for mom to get a car um, and for you to get a car and let's just see what happens. Um, so uh, we prayed together, we went to lunch and uh, literally like uh, two weeks later, this is like right around Christmas time, two weeks later coming into January, um, someone out of the blue contacted Bridget, a friend, I'll just say a friend without identifying who it was, um, and they said, hey, you know, we have this old SUV, we're going to trade it in, and the dealer wasn't going to give us anything for it. Could you guys use a car? And of course, that was the answer to our prayer. And what ended up happening was Claire got Bridget's Suburban, and we had then a provision to be able to fix the transmission to keep it going. And Bridget got this other car, which was a great car. It was like a 2010 Highlander, you know, it was, it was, it was a great gift. And the Lord did that only out of our prayer. We weren't like going around saying, hey, you know, we need a new car. Anybody donating a car? Like we could really use it. We were just praying about it. I feel like that God was revealing himself, not only to me and Bridget, but really to Claire and saying like, I've seen the desire of your heart. I've seen your prayer for your own mother. I remember it like brought me to tears. Like Claire was like, dad, do you need a car? And I was like, no, Claire, my truck's fine right now. Don't worry about that. Um, and, you know, all this happens. So that's like one little example of where, uh, whereby if, you know, we had to purchase our own car, that would have been a lot of money. Um, that car, I think, had a value at that time, or $10,000 at least. So instead of $10,000, which we would have had to earn, pay taxes on, you know, maybe we had to earn 20000 to get 10000 to buy that car. We didn't have to earn any of that in our system. It was just given through benevolence. It was a person helping a person. And I think, by the way, if you have a question of like, what is the economy of God that he wants us instead of a capitalistic, an unbridled capitalistic system that's publicly traded, that's always focused on profitability, not necessarily so much the people, it's the economy of the people. It's people helping people. In this case, a friend said we're in a position to help you and could you use it and yes of course there was an answer to prayer um i'll give you um 
well, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it back to you, Jonathan. I had another example that I was thinking about that I could share. Yeah, that's really good. And one, so just, uh, you know, one interesting thing to me um, is the way that, you know, we have these, in the way economics is typically thought of, you have like a communist or socialist side and you have a capitalist side. And one interesting thing to me is how communism and socialism, which is kind of making a resurgence right now, um, wherever it pops up and it has this great idea of, you know, every we need to take care of everyone, which is very similar to, um, you know, the Acts church and what the dynamics you see there in, in Acts chapter two, where everyone's being cared for. Um, but when it gets implemented, it's like, tons of people end up getting killed and it doesn't go well. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it sounds great on the front end and capitalism sounds, you know, kind of um, greedy, I guess is the, is the right word, but, you know, but what I'm hearing you say is there's this way that's neither capitalism or communism or socialism where there's a freedom to do what you want but it comes down to giving and receiving. Um, so people are giving generously, not because they're being taxed. Um, you know, it's not like the apostles were, hey, we're gonna institute utopia. Everyone needs to give us 20% of their property, but rather there was a spirit of generosity that was being poured out. And it was a freely give, freely receive type of economy. Is that a good description of the kingdom economy? Yeah, I think it is a good description, and I think it's one of the, in the same way, this is a big area that's hidden, and therefore we don't know how to repent about it because it's, we don't even have a revelation that we've got a problem. I think that the devils pose this lie that the only two economies that can, can exist for the United States are either a Marxist socialist economy or a capitalistic economy. And I think it's interesting because the word capitalism was actually coined by Karl Marx. He used it to describe what he was trying to have a revolution against. And if you think about it, pure capitalism is like mammon. What's at the top of pure capitalism? The capital, the money. It's not Jesusism, and then we'll have some money as well. It's the, the money is the thing, and we have to, money has to be served and money must earn a return. That's capitalism. It's about the capital. Um, Adam Smith said, um, he, he wrote about the invisible hand. And so even though that phrase, that terminology, capitalism didn't exist back then, he's looked at as one of the fathers of capitalism. The invisible hand, however, is not a biblical invisible hand. The invisible hand was when Adam Smith postured or, or postulated Look, the rich man getting richer and making a lot of goods, much more than he can consume, is actually a good thing because it's going to help all the rest of society unintentionally provide the trickle down of more economy and jobs and everything else, an excess of supply. The trouble with that is it does not consider is that rich man greedy or godly? And if human nature is left to its own devices, that rich man is probably going to be greedy. He's probably going to be, he even says, the self-interest. 
Adam Smith talked about self-interest. So capitalism is all about the self-interest. It's about, I have the money, it's my money, I need to earn a return. And that's the key. That's the priority. That's the, that's the work that it's like, what are you worshiping? Well, capitalism, you worship that profitability in the capital. Biblical economy is like modeled in the Old Testament. It involves what Jonathan is saying is the freedom to trade with one another. But what God is saying is don't conduct your business without concern for others and then try to help people from the money you made. While you're conducting your business, be benevolent then. Be in the business of people helping people rather than I'll make my money and then do something with it later, being judged if it's good or bad. Am I George Soros or am I a good person that is generous and giving? God is really saying, America, turn back to me and I'll turn back to you in the area of greed because we have, in our system, so focused on the money that taking care of people either has to happen later through the taxation and government, that's socialism, or it has to happen later through, well, I, I may have stepped on people and like uh, done some things I'm not proud of in making my money, um, but hey, at least I'm generous once I've had, once I've like made this pile. I think that's what God is really saying is like the, the system we have falls short and is is going to be judged and is is in is need of repentance because it is so concentrated the focus on money making um as idolatrous that we've even given it a pass in the church and said well you know once we get the money then we'll do good with it and i think that's one of the keys in coming out with it is like how can we come back to what ancient israel knew by the covenant of abraham that God will bless his people. He will give us lands. We can cultivate them. That's, by the way, all of our founding documents in our nation are based on this. Life, liberty, and property. The pursuit of happiness was really a notion of, I have a piece of land that me and my family are going to um, till. And that that is the freedom that we're trying to set up here. Justice for all, all men being created equal. That's really another way of describing biblical economy is like, and if you look at Israel, ancient Israel, God put in all these parts of the law that help us get out of every slavery, encourage the release of debts, forgiveness of debt. Um, God has all sorts of ordinances and things to say, like if you made your money by exploiting people, that is a sin against me. And you, I will not bless you if you do that. So that's that's a little bit of a glimpse as to it's not socialism and and capitalism like what God is after is peopleism or a way of you know having good economy that focuses on help people helping people and profit will come, but it's not the object of our worship. Jesus is the object of our worship. That's that's great. So even in the midst of doing business. This idea of it's more blessed to give than receive is in play. You're not just thinking, what's the, how can I, you know, manipulate this so I can get the most profit, but you're thinking, how can I do the most good, um, you know, for others? How can this be a blessing to others, be it my employees, be it people we're serving? I think that's, I think that's brilliant. That's awesome. One last question, we're gonna end with this. It's from the audience. Um, 
what does let me just make sure I get it right here. I'm going to open the, the chat. Um, what does this look like in the church? Um, how should the church look in regards to money versus how it looks now? Um, yeah, you want to tackle that one as, as a closing thought? Sure, I'll try to be brief. I think we've allowed our business notions and ideas and economic ideas to and administrative ideas to creep into the church. The American church often runs like a business if people are familiar with how churches get budgeted and how fund driving, uh, fundraising drives have to occur and you know how um, things are are very focused around like we're running a we're running a business the business has a budget we got to meet our budget i think with jesus the key is how did he run his ministry was he money focused or did he have a money box and utilized it but really not notably and not for much he didn't really depend on that i think that that's the lesson for the church is whether we have a no dollar budget like 10 days of prayer has really been started with almost no budget almost no uh, financial strength, right? But look what look what God has done. Um, and so I think that the answer is whether I have a billion dollars or not a cent in my bank account, what has God called me to do? And I'm going to do that no matter what. And he said he's going to provide one way or the other, so he'll do it. And I'm not going to measure that by the world's standard. I'm not going to say, well, God only came through if my budget made a million dollars this year. No, that's that's irrelevant. And sometimes we get caught up in such a planning, execution, business mindset, we can limit God by saying, no, everything has to be through this budget. But if we let go of that notion, no, everything does not have to be through the budget. Let's let God be God. If the money comes in, great, we'll utilize it for what God wants. If it doesn't, we'll still do what we're being called to do. Maybe it'll come other ways. Maybe we can be effective in other ways. And as we do that more and more in the church, and we let go and let God, um, you know, I think we're going to start seeing the provision miracles happen more and more. So Jesus fed the people he was ministering through, not through the money box. Like if you look at the scriptures, the, Jesus turned to the disciples and he said, okay, how are we going to provide for the 4,000? How are we going to provide for the 5,000? What do you guys think? And one option was, well, let's see what the money box can buy. How much bread? Well, that won't be enough bread. And another idea was, well, we can't really do it ourselves, so let's send the crowds out to fend for themselves, and they can get their own food. And Jesus said the answer was neither one of those. It was, we're going to trust in the miraculous, and let's watch how heaven provides through the multiplication of the fishes and the loaves. Dividing into groups of 50, which is like creating community. Now you pray, and let's watch what God will do. And then that 5,000 being divided in groups of 50 in prayer and in faith, they had what they needed. And then there was all this excess at the end. They even had more than, than enough left. So I think that's a little bit of an illustration of moving away from a Western mindset, a capitalistic mindset, a business mindset in the traditional sense, and moving more toward a faith mindset, which is like, hey, we can do this ministry with whatever God provides. If it's if it's a million, great. If it's if it's ten bucks, that's fine too. Like whatever whatever it takes. That's that's right. Contentment, Philippians four. Contentment with what we have. Um, 
you know, that's what Jesus says is, well, what do we have? <laughs> five, five loaves and two fish. And then trust in God's miraculous uh, provision for all that's needed um, is amazing. I, you know, the prayer that we pray, give us today our daily bread. In the Greek, it literally says, give us tomorrow's bread today. And what that means, I believe, is tomorrow is referencing the age to come. And it's a prayer for miraculous provision um, that God would miraculously provide for us. In other words, from heaven or from, from the age to come in this age that we'd be supplied. Um, Greg, can you just close us out by praying for uh, God to just enlighten our hearts and give us grace to respond to this word today? Absolutely. And I'm just going to share one quick thing into that prayer about an example of the church trusting God. In 2016, the New England Alliance um, was given the opportunity to put on the Restore Conference and Convocation at Northfield. And Jonathan knows the story well. The budget for that event was $17,000 roughly, plus or, plus or minus. And we took a decision as the leadership uh, that God was not at, was asking us to abstain from asking the people for money, no offering. So we decided, okay, if this is right, we're gonna trust God and we're gonna watch how he provides. And without going through all the detail, the food came in because somebody who has a food business donated everyone's meals. Uh, the, the rental came in because another foundation said we are going to contribute this amount of money. So like the money we had to pay for renting the, uh, the hall was taken care of. And on and on it went. And it literally went down to the, we talk about the dollar. Um, you know, it was like, there was a $17,000 need and God provided it with money and without money and met just exactly what was needed, $17,000 worth of stuff. That whole event was pulled off. The church did what God was asking the church to do. And God did it without this notion of like, we have to fundraise, we have to take offerings, we have to, the people have got to contribute, so we make it. We just let God be God and said, okay, God, you said to do it, we're going to obey and we're just going to trust you. And it, and it worked. It happened. It was amazing. It was miraculous. It, I'm going to just piggyback on that because I have had that testimony on my heart this entire t conversation. <laughs> and um, it's so funny that you bring it up. So Greg had a dream in February of that year that basically the dream was that we were going to rent, not buy, and that the cost was $17. Um, and the dream was about this fall gathering. So it literally ended up costing almost exactly $17,000. It was a rental. Um, it was just an amazing um, confirmation of that. So maybe a month and a half before the event, um, Cassie and I had, um, at that point for about three weeks, we had been extremely stretched financially. We'd never had more than um, $100. And usually, often we had had less than 10. And um, it's, you know, if you've ever been that stretched, um, which, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, just having a little bit more money is helpful. Like there's a lot more you can do with, with like 200 bucks than you can do with, with five. <laughs> and um, so we had just been waiting on the Lord. You know, we hadn't 
Um, and, um, and then, but we kind of got to a point where both she and I at the same moment were like, all right, we're feeling like the grace is lifting for this. So I cried out to the Lord. And, and then on top of it, we had this $17,000, um, you know, bill that was due that we didn't have any idea how we would pay for it. So I cried out to the Lord about it. And the Lord said, um, you know, I was like, Lord, do you want me just to get a, a part-time job on the side? You know, I'm happy to work. I love working. Uh, what do you want me to do? He said, don't get a job. Don't change anything. Um, if you plead my cause, I will plead your cause. Mm. And um, so, and he told me specifically not to ask and not to get a job. And so, you know, I was going to send out an email because this is a joint venture uh, with, with New England churches, kind of just saying, hey, if you want to contribute to our joint venture, you know, here's how to do it. Because of that, I didn't do that at all. It was just like, nope, not even going to mention there's a need. Hmm. Um, and so this was the, the day after God gave me this word. I got an email back saying, hey, there's a check for $10,000 in the mail to cover this hmm. event. Um, so didn't say anything that that happened. And then later that week, you know, we received uh, $3,000 ourselves personally. Uh, and then the next week, another thousand. Um, and my, <laughs> my wife had said, you know, at this point, we need $5,000 just to get get the ship up, you know, righted. And I was like, yeah. And, um, and so we were just laughing about it, because actually that 5000 did end up coming in in total, I believe. And um, God totally did it, mm. not by not by human means, but just miraculously. And then he did provide that $17,000 for the event. Um, so he is faithful. Um, not that it's always wrong to ask or share a need. It's, it's, it's not about a specific like that. It's just about following the voice of God. So Greg, pray yeah. us out. I'm, I know we went a little over, but I think God wanted us to share those testimonies. Yeah, Lord, so we just pray that everyone within earshot of this message would hear what you have to say, that the churches would hear what you have to say, like you when you spoke in Revelations 2 and 3. Let the churches hear what you have to say, Lord. Let us come out of all dependency on man and man's systems and trust in you, Lord. Let us come out of every uh, false trust in money idolatry of uh, the thing that the world says makes the world go round. Money makes the world go round, but that is not true, Lord. Truth is you make the world go round. You created it. You love us. You're redeeming it. You're coming back for us. That's the truth. Set us free, Lord. I pray that we, as we come into this freedom, we can sense the liberty that it provides, that we can come out of these fears that are almost animalistic, um, because they're of hell rather than heaven. And I pray that we can come into a faith trust walk like never before, each one of us uh, understanding what that means, but then also praying for the church in America to see this come about and for America to be saved, that we would come out of every idolatry, every false trust, every greed, every fear of our financial future. We do not trust in the golden calf of our economy or Wall Street, we trust in you, Lord. We want to be like the Israelites. Show us how to trust you, even in a desert time, because that is preparation and a testing of heart for the promises to come. And even as we we know the promises are yes and amen in you, Lord, you 
want us on the potter's wheel. You want to refine us. I pray that everyone here go through the refining, like when Jesus said, like the Laodicean church, he said, go buy gold. You say you're rich, but I say you're poor. Go buy gold, tried in the fire. I pray that we can get a revelation of that and see it happen in our lives uh, for your glory, Lord, for your redemption. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Greg. Most welcome.